You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. The AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV's Helix After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show, it's AfterBuzz TV's Helix After Show. Hey there, Helix fans. You know what time it is. It's a very special edition of the Helix After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. I am Matt Lieberman. Joining me as always on the fantastic panel, Mr. Stephen Lemieux is here. Hey guys, good to be here. Miss Liz Rishmaui is here. Hey guys. Back from being sick, good to have you. Still recovering. And Zach Wilson's here. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, for a very special interview with the creator of Helix, Cameron Persanda is here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're so jazzed to have Woo. you, man. Thank you for coming. Yeah, and, and I'm sick as well, so <laughs> okay. this is an extra special I'm podcast. I'm going to high-five you later. Yeah, <laughs> sweet. We'll have a sick high-five. I, I know this is the Helix podcast, but why is everyone infected? Yeah, I know. Well, it's it's, it's sickness season. It's flu and cold season. Just real quick, yeah, uh, for those of you uh, listening at home, watching home, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, everything up through episode 10 in this podcast. So if you haven't watched it yet, turn this off. Go watch it, then come back. Um, but first, Cameron, I, I just want to talk about you. We'll, we'll take sort of your journey up to the creation of the show. Um, so, how long have you have you been writing? This is your first series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I'm a relatively new guy to Hollywood, and especially to writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, before this, I was actually a, a consultant for the World Bank. I don't know if you know what that is, but yeah, <laughs> I would travel abroad to developing countries um, to deal with specific kinds of problems. And before that, I was with the Federal Reserve. So I oh, it was wow. in economics and math until very recently. So what, what spurred on the change? <laughs> you know, I, I tell this story a lot. Um, but I, I was in Africa. I was in a village. And I saw a kid watching um, Will and Grace. And this kid was gay in a community where that clearly wasn't tolerated. And I remember thinking, um, all the things that, that I do or me, the organization I worked with, did, that they're important things. But nothing probably meant more to that kid than that television show did. And my only thought at that moment was, there are lots of ways to make the world a better place. One is politics and economics, which I I was well-versed in. Another was just entertaining people and letting them know that they were connected to a bigger world. And at that moment, I thought, maybe this is the time to try something else. So So I did. Around what time was that? Was that a couple years ago? I I would probably say that's five years ago. Five years ago? Yeah. Um, so when did you hook up with, with Ron Moore? Had you, were you already repped at that point or? No, not at all. Um, so I, I wrote Helix, uh, yeah. as a spec okay. uh, and I was excited about it and we sent it over to Linda Opst at Sony. I don't know if you know Linda. Mm-hmm. She's done contact. I, I love her book. Yes. Which, yes. She's uh, written another one recently as well. Oh. Um, but hello, he lied. Yes. Um, that's the one that classic. I mm-hmm. Um, and one I was definitely familiar with. Um, Linda's kind of a science buff and she loved it. And after we worked on it for maybe six months, um, Sony said to us, like, if you could work on the show with anyone, who would you do it with? And I said Ron Moore, um, thinking it was sort of like a pipe dream. And, yeah. and they sent it to Ron, and he very graciously came on board. And then we pitched it to Sci-Fi a couple weeks later, maybe, maybe three weeks later. And they called me on the drive home, and they said they're in for a straight to 13. Wow. Which, is, which doesn't happen. No, it, it's very rare. And, I mean, I, I felt like I was the luckiest guy on earth, so... 
That's, That's it, so cool. It happened quickly. Um, it didn't feel quick while it was happening. Sure. <laughs> but um, in retrospect, uh, it was quick, sort of seamless, and we were very lucky. Was this the first spec that you had written that you really like? Kind of got behind with like the background story and the mythos behind it. Um, it was the first story like this. I, I wrote one other show before this that was over at Fox. Um, it ultimately didn't go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was the first show that was a serialized, overarching <laughs> mythical drama like this. Yeah, definitely. So uh, what was the original kernel of the idea? Was it was it dealing with a virus? Was it the location? Like, what was the first thing that was just sort of like got your juices flowing? Yeah. Um, it was a combination of three things. Uh, the first was, have any of you been to the Arctic Circle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't say I have. It, it's amazing. I would say it's the closest thing to being on the moon on Earth. Mm-hmm. And, and the the location just really struck me. Not only its like barrenness and its beauty, but also like what kind of person would choose to abandon everything and come live up here? Because there were people that had in fact done that. Yeah. So I really wanted to do a show in that location. And the second thing was I knew I wanted to start as a virus story. I guess I kind of feel like every generation has its fear. I feel like my grandparents, it was nuclear war. I feel like for my parents, it was this idea that computers were going to take over. And you saw that in the pop culture at the time. But I feel like for our generation, it really is sort of the virus for a couple of reasons. Um, one, we have films like Contagion. Two, there mm. are viruses everywhere. And actually, the third reason is, unlike the other things I just alluded to, viruses are everywhere all the time. And I think there's a parallel for that with terrorism, too, and the fact that there was a time when we knew who our enemies were and we right. knew where they were. And that's not the case anymore. And I feel like a virus in a lot of ways parallels that. Absolutely, because it's invisible and it can attack you at any time and there's very little you can do about it. And then in this case, we have the CDC, who are the people you call when this is going down, who can do something about it, and even they're stumped. So what if there was this mega virus? I don't know. I keep a bottle of hand sanitizer in my car. I keep one on my desk. (laughs) I use it when I get here to AfterBuzz. You know, I think we're all pretty terrified about germs. I think that's actually very astute. I think the terrifying thing about viruses in general is everything on this planet has its own set evolutionary path. And as we can tell with antibiotics and things like that, viruses can evolve on a much greater pace. Mm -hmm. So when we look at something like, uh, let's say, the common cold and let's say bird flu. Bird flu is one example where people weren't afraid of the bird flu per se. They were afraid of what it could turn into as it evolved. So when you have a virus and all it would take is like randomly one year from now, one virus could wipe out everyone and it would just come from, like, randomly one day, a spring and evolution starts spreading. Right. Or Basically, one, one little thing changes in it that changes it so our immune system can't handle that it. Or could so be, that it can't be cured. It's, vir- it's uh, yeah. cure-resistant. Something completely out of our control. Because, like, people like Matt, who are just using antibacterial stuff all over the place, yeah. helping these viruses get better at uh, attacking us. It's all my fault. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Yeah. I think that's I'm also what was so interesting about last episode of episode 9, was when they go into the cooler and they see all the viruses, and there are viruses from spanning histories and mm-hmm. spanning er- eras of mass plague and mass death. Yeah, and how they would, what we're dealing with now is they conscripted the Arctic biosystems to create a virus, but then we see that they, these might have been viruses they created in the past, or maybe they've used the same technique before, and now they're just trying to do it on a grander scale because humanity has exploded so much in population. No, and I'm glad you brought that up because I really love that scene because what it really illustrates to me is the fact that viruses have shaped 
our history and our human history in all kinds of ways that even you and I don't remember right now. Because we weren't alive during smallpox and, and all these huge plagues, but they in fact changed the course of history in very subtle ways. Um, and yes, one of the ideas we wanted to play with is, um, you know, what if someone, what if there was a hand behind that? Yeah. Hmm. The 500. To, the black hand. <laughs> yeah. I have to just say, um, it reminded me, uh, I can't quote the article or where I found it, but it's very interesting that you chose um, viruses. They said uh, recently scientists have uncovered a virus in the Antarctic. Uh, <coughs> it's a prehistoric virus. Oh, yeah. You heard yeah. about this? And it, apparently it doesn't affect humans, but they're kind of like baffled and kind of like scared because they don't know. This thing is like what seventy million or I right. can't quote, it but it's like so seventy old. something million years and old. And it just I, I immediately thought of Helix when I read this. Right, because so if they found that and it doesn't affect humans, what else could they find? Exactly. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought of Helix when I yeah. read Thank it. You. <laughs> because what it is is they uncovered a virus that is still living. Basically, it. It's, well, I read it. Okay, you read it. That was sent to me probably 700 times. Of course. (laughs) By strangers and colleagues alike. You create the disease in the Arctic show, someone's going to send you the virus in the Arctic. We're assuming you're behind it. Is this actually a publicity stunt by Sci-Fi? Sci-Fi's been very supportive of our show. (laughs) They actually, this the the pre-planning on the publicity in this show went back 70 million years. They actually, like, created a time machine just for this publicity stunt. Now, I, I have to ask, so when you went in and you pitched the show before before they brought it up, how much of the mythology had you come up with? Were the 500 even something that was even a glimmer in your eye? I know when you're pitching a series, they want to know what it looks like a few years down the road. And one of my favorite things in watching the show uh, as it started was like, this seems unsustainable. How could this show continue for years and years? And I just want to know how much of that roadmap you had. Um, it's a smart question, and it's one that Sci-Fi did ask. Yeah. I, I think there was a time when you could write a really cool pilot, and they would just have faith that you would figure it out. I think in a lot of ways that time has passed. Yeah. Um, and, and Sci-Fi smartly did ask these questions. Going back a couple of weeks before that, when Ron first became involved, one of the many things he did to make the show much better was we took a step back and said, what is the greater mythology here that was, won't arch over not only season one, but over the entire series? Um, and that's when he really sort of made some huge contributions, and that was one of them. Um, so that when we went in to pitch it, they in fact did ask the exact question you did, which yeah. is, we love this idea, we're not certain where it's going to go, tell us where you think it's going to go. So we did pitch all these things. They asked the very demanding and very specific questions in the course of the pitch, and it was a long pitch. Um, but a lot of that stuff was mapped out before we started. Mm-hmm. That's not to say things didn't like sort of twist and evolve as we went forward, and a lot of those evolutions made the show much, much better. But those bones and that structure, they wanted to know from the second we walked in. And luckily, we were prepared. Great. I have a question. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not as well-versed in knowing how, you know, you pitch pilots. So, like, did you already have all 13 episodes, like, written out? Or you have the basic idea, and then you write them out as you go? It was very much the latter. Okay. So we had the structure of the show, and we had all the tentpoles we were going to hang it on. Um, and we knew we were going to do 13 episodes, and it was very important to me that it was one episode per day. Yeah. I, I like that structure. Which is so great, by the way. I love that it's like day one, day two, day three. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's so clever. And I think in season two you'll see we use that in even a more clever way, if and when that happens. Okay. Right. And obviously uh. everyone here wants <laughs> that to happen, me more than anyone. Right. Um, so you've started writing season two. No, no, no. But everyone's been thinking about it. Okay. Sure. Um, it's hard not to think about it when, when you love your show. Absolutely. Now, I, I know that this is kind of jumping ahead. Some folks on 
the show, and don't get mad at them, mm. kind of alluded that if season two were to happen, it would involve, you know, a very contained situation, much like season one, but something radically different. It wouldn't necessarily be in the Arctic, Arctic Circle. It would be a different kind of containment. And it kind of offers this very interesting opportunity where since it's been day one, day two, day three, to jump ahead and all of a sudden we're in day 263 or something like that. And just like all this time has passed. It just occurred to me. Or somebody else's set of 13 days. Right. Or something like that. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Without giving too much away, that's a really good thought. Here's what I will say. Um, And I wouldn't have gone here except I do know some of the cast already went ahead and did that. Um, (laughs) It it was never the intention to have the entire show in the Arctic Circle. I will say that. Um, and, And while we have thought about each season being location-specific, we, we do want to also open up the world in interesting ways. I mean, an Arctic base is, is a brilliant location. In my mind, though, you, you can never do a show in such a contained environment mm-hmm. for the course of an entire series. And we knew that from day one. Yeah. So, yes, we do plan to jump. We have some ideas about what we want to do. Um, and we are going to open it up in, I think, some really, really fun ways. And in terms of jumping around in time, that remains to be seen. Okay. I can <laughs> of with with episode ten again, guys. Watch episode ten if you haven't watched it. Seriously, with the five hundred, we have we have a corporation that's run by five hundred immortal people. Basically, so cool. But the reason it's interesting that they give you a number instead of just saying this corporation is run by five hundred, it's only five hundred. As one dies, there's room for another, and that's a, that's I think what is kind of going to be a basis for allowing people into the corporation and what their rules are because once you become immortal are you automatically going to be part of this do they automatically have to make room because they have to keep the quota at 500 so my question is how are they gonna this is not a question for you this is just a question Mm -hmm. in general this Mm -hmm. probably should be on the after show but like (laughs) are they is julia gonna end up in the ilaria corporation because i think they've alluded to that a little bit i think that she kind of is um uh, Gunner, before he died, he said uh, Constance told him that he had to make a choice. He had to choose a side. So I assume if you are one of the 500, you have to decide whether or not you're on board with what they're doing or not. You you are a part of that community. I don't know if they they could feel that a new member had arisen or something like that. I don't know if it goes that far. We've talked about Hive Mind on the show. Um, Only Alarians deal in absolutes. We still don't right. know why they were <laughs> keeping their heads. What? We still don't know why they're keeping their oh, heads. Yeah. Well, we assume it's valuable. We assume that it's because they can wake them up. <laughs> I love it. Because he's got this twinkle in his eye as he like, takes a sip of his like drink and it's just amazing. We know they're, they're still alive. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the heads. <laughs> I'll say one thing before that. Yeah. It's just as enjoyable for me to watch you guys talk about it. One of the best things about creating a show is sitting with your friends in a room while they're watching it and watching their faces as they respond to things. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably one of the great joys of writing for television, period. Absolutely. Uh, as for the heads, um, <laughs> that will come forth. <laughs> okay. Have in this soon. season? Was uh, there any big reaction that somebody had that is your favorite moment that you like watched a friend just like freak out over one particular thing? <laughs> um, no, but I would say any time... The Ziz, as you guys, you guys really own that more than we do. I'm going to give you guys complete credit for that. Um, anytime there's a jarring moment and someone sort of sits back in their chair, to be able to evoke that on a television screen is a great, great thing. There was a time when movies owned that kind of space completely. Um, I, every moment like that, I kind of love. 
I think we would be honored if in whatever future scripts lie ahead, you actually referred to... They could not do it. (laughs) That would be amazing. I actually, I I like that you said that. We actually had uh, John Taffer in here yesterday for an interview from Bar Rescue. And the way he explained business and the way he was explaining things is that he's not in the business of television. He's not in the business. He's in the business of reactions. And... Using it as a as a food reference, he was like, "You're not selling a dish to someone. You're selling that reaction when they get it put in front of them. You want them to be like, they either have that or they have nothing. And when you have a show, it's kind of similar. It's like you're selling a reaction to somebody. You want them to or be selling an experience. Yeah. Well, I'm using yeah, okay, I'm using the okay, okay. the analogy he Fine. used. You you want them to be engaged. You want them to be like what? Yes. So like when when he pulls out the thing and strangles Sutton, you, what? When uh, you find out that Meeks is a twin. Like, you want these things... When Julia saved the samples of Narvik after she they burned the whole thing down and the samples are still there, we'll get into that. So how much... I want to know how much... In, in a creative aspect, how much do you have creative say on these twists and things like that? Do the writers bring them to you and you kind of go like, no? Or do the writers think of them? Or do you really say, like, this is kind of where I want this twist to happen... No, I would say very much that we have a collaborative environment in the writer's room. Um, I think every writer contributes to every episode. Um, and that's kind of one of the great things about this particular show. Yes, we have an idea of where each episode, what neat things need to happen in order to keep the story going forward. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the twists and turns come up very organically in the room. And they come up from all kinds of places, all the way down to even the assistants. So, no, no, we're very like open to that. And I think that has made the show better in terms of the little twists and turns. One thing I'm always sort of surprised on, um, which is why I think it's good to sort of foster that sort of collaborative environment, is sometimes you think the moments people will be talking about are not the ones. And sometimes it's the smallest things that really sort of make the audience alive. And those things can come from anywhere. So when I'm talking to people and they get really excited about, like, the sawed-down teeth, mm-hmm. a small thing in my mind when I came up with it, but, but there is some portion of the TV audience that really latched onto that idea and loved it. And there are lots of little things like that that I did not create, um, which had similar or bigger responses. Yeah, and I think it's what we really enjoy about the show is that it's those little details that just show such a deeper world behind it all. That have us asking all these questions, even when we, we still don't know the shape of the series. Mm-hmm. Like, the, that's what one of my favorite things is it really subverted expectations. When you come into this pilot, you think it's one thing. But then, uh, much like a virus, it transformed and became something else. Yes, and we hope to keep that up. That's um, great. Throughout the entire series. Make, hopefully have huge paradigm shifts. Every time you think you know what the show is, um, it won't be that. That's our intention, at least. I'm going to be total conspiracy theorist. This I always shout out theories when they come to mind. <laughs> so forgive me for interrupting the interview <laughs> to shout all. out theories. Do it. Um, I like thinking about where Sarah's character has been and... Because you've kind of been building her up in this in this strange way that makes her the mercy killer. I mean, she gave the morphine to the vector and had her basically die, help assisted suicide. But then we're kind of slowly killing her off in a way, and she's the one who has to deal with this. She's basically dealing with vectoring herself. Like, she's in that position, like, with the tumor. She's slowly dying, so it's kind of her moral... Compass. Moral compass and having to deal with, okay, I'm in the same position. Like, I don't want to die and turn into something else, but I don't want to die that kind of way. And, and she faces that in this episode. She looks at the morphine. She's debating briefly, or at least that's how I read it. You know? Yeah. 
do I end this or do I spend the rest of my time in the lab working? So what I just thought of is an interesting role for a character is after we have this guy who says being alive forever is like a th- 10,000 deaths. And now we have Hataki who is with the Willis hypothesis, which we still don't know kind of what it really is. I'm kind of thinking that Sojourn is a way to turn people into the Silver Eyes. Into the 500? Well... Okay, can we call, can we, Cameron, can you issue a ruling on what we can call these the silver people? Eyes. Are they the 500? Are they the immortals? Are they the silver eyes? What is the officially licensed term? <laughs> I definitely cannot do that. <laughs> because that, that will be the fun uh, of, of learning how to define this group and who gets in and who gets out. Fine. <laughs> but Party I, pooper. I think Hitaki was trying to create a way to turn people into the 500 outside of their ruling. To, to battle it, them. To give it to the masses sort well, of thing? To, to give competition face. to them. To give competition to them. Because the 500 are basically... I mean, come on, Ilaria, Illuminati, it's kind of like <laughs> a similar... I mean, it's kind of what I think the vectors might be are like the... It's the anti The anti-silvers. Sort of, like, in that they might be able to... They might have some of those abilities. They're the attempt. But They're the yeah. attempt yes. to make yes. a new yes. silver. And Julius' daughter, so it's kind of different, but I think it's still the attempt to make a new silver. And I think Sarah's going to be the first human to be able to be turned into a new silver. And I think that's interesting because she is dealing with death so much. She mer- had to mercy kill somebody. And then to have a complete swap that she is now the one who's immortal after she's been having that ticking time bomb right. for her whole life. Well, I, wa- I want to hear what Cameron has to say on this uh, first, and then I have a point that I'd like to make. <laughs> to which point precisely would you want to respond? It's like a lot of stuff, but to me, the big question is, why can there only be 500? Whose rule is that? Is that a biological imperative? Uh, in what is that grounded? Why can there only be 500? I think it's more like if it's just like controlling population, you can't have something that lives forever against something that right. eating something or is that it doesn't. pulling off of some resource that is just a fi- has a finite amount, and once you add a five hundred and first, you've diluted that to a point where it's not a- as effective. Well, here's what I will say. Okay. I mean, I'm going to first give the generic answer, which is these are the right questions that everyone was hoping the viewers would be asking. Great. Here's the second part: if there was a group that had these rules. Um, in any group of 500 people, there are going to be a diversity of opinion mm-hmm. um, about whether the rules are important and who the rules apply to. And Hitaki might be one of those people who has a different idea about these rules. And I know that's still generic, but I think that's a good way to think about it. Great. I'm I think seeing... it's also who's, who's in charge of 500 immortals. Who can really be, who can really put immortal people in their place? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a very good question. I'm kind of seeing Julia as possibly 501. Maybe she's going to be the one to disrupt whatever was controlling that number. For but so here's long. the thing: she, <coughs> I, th- I, I don't know if it was the same episode, but I'm pretty sure she became silver in the same episode or the episode after Constance was beheaded. The thing is, as long as we've got these heads, they're not they're not technically alive. They're not a member of the 500. But if you were to kill someone off and unfreeze them. So they could take their place again. It's conceivably. To me that they're like they're mortal, but they they can be killed. Like they can freezing be the freezing the heads keeps them alive. So technically, there's no spot open in the 500. 
Oh. <laughs> I can't smile on this show, apparently, <laughs> without it being a loaded smile. Um, like, I we're did, kind like, of... I would, like, peek into my Christmas presents and, like, have to, like, pretend to, like, be surprised on Christmas morning. <laughs> totally. That's what you look like. Sorry, I totally drove us into after show status. We need to go back into the interview. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. guys. <laughs> Tune in later for, <laughs> for the good stuff. Come back in four hours. I know, right? <laughs> for the juice, because you can't give us too much. I know. So you're telling us a little bit about this was your first time at Comic Con, and this going to Comic Con is your first time as a creator of a show with such, <laughs> which hadn't even premiered yet. Correct. Yeah, but the the hype behind it, everyone was really excited because they were like, "Oh, it's the new." It's the new infection story. What is it going to be? What is it going to be? So I imagine that was kind of a crazy, crazy experience for you. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I I would say that going to Comic-Con as a show creator is the closest a writer will ever feel to being a rock star. I mean, that experience is so foreign, um, not only to most people, but to writers, for for most of humankind. Um, To walk up on stage and have people cheering for you, and again, for a show that doesn't even exist yet, to call it surreal would be an understatement. And I don't know if you guys saw the poster for Helix um, Mm -hmm. on that hotel. Uh, You could see it from the plane coming in. Yeah. I mean, that is such a foreign, foreign experience. I saw it outside of my hotel room. You almost want to cry. It was an amazing thing. And obviously, like the cast, because I've heard them on the show before this, we'd be excited about going again. Um, okay. Yeah, I remember that being, was my next question. being in San Diego this year, walking up, I was like, I don't know what that is, but I'm intrigued. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll say this too, you know, a, a lot of people, I, I know a lot of people who have created shows and um, there are things that they're very pleased about, things that they're less pleased about. Sometimes they're not that happy about the marketing. I was thrilled about our marketing from start to end. I, I think Sci-Fi did a brilliant job starting at Comic-Con and even things like that little box right there, yeah. which you probably can't see, but... Um, it's, it's a really it's it, it's, it's really, really cool. brilliant and like iconic imagery the yes. uh, the exploding ziz out the back totally you know play God pay the price yeah wh- I'm actually it. curious about that phrase was that a mar- was that the marketing department or was that from you guys I'm gonna give the marketing department credit I mean we talked about these things and these themes were everywhere mm-hmm. um, but they nailed that and I you know when we saw it we were. Sometimes you're cool. a little bit nervous before you see these things. Yeah. Because, you know, could have said ziz everywhere. Right. <laughs> 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 Which I still would have smiled and been okay with. Yeah. But when you see stuff like this, you're like, wow, that they, they get what we're trying to go for. Yeah. And, and they cool. nailed it. Great. In this case. I um, want to go next year. If you guys are there next year, I want to go so bad, but it's already sold out. Well, we were discussing when Neil was on the show about going as a group cosplay as vectors, vectors and... We would love that. He would be our leader, of course. You know. <laughs> and he would do it. He, yeah. He's a really good guy. He is so fun. Yeah. His um, jerking acting in this last episode was crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like I love I love the way that he plays his vector, the, the the like barely contained rage, and then also the the tenderness that we get towards the end of he the still episode. Has his humanity. Yeah. Now he was when he was on the show. He was talking about how his role kind of evolved over the course of the season. You didn't know necessarily whether or not you were going to keep him around at first. How did that change? Well, I mean, I think I heard him say that, and that's half the story. Okay. What I would say was his character was actually two characters when we first started, and one was going to take a similar arc to the one that you're seeing, mm-hmm. and the other one was going to die, sort of like he alluded to. And when we folded them together, um, 
we sort of realized that Neil was the guy who could do all of it. And, yeah. he, and he does. I mean, if you watch Neil act, I think one of the things he does very, very effectively is sort of convey emotion without speaking. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but he was actually on one of the um, Assassin's Creed games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you could see it in that, too. He's just very good at emoting um, without speaking. And I think he does that really well on our show, too. Absolutely. So uh, he was the right guy. And once we had a lot of confidence in him, it was easier to, to have confidence in folding those characters together. Even, so getting even into Mark, the- even Mark said that he was jealous. Like he, if he could do anybody else, he would do. He would love to play um, Peter. Peter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can genuinely say when I would eat lunch with Peter <laughs> between takes, I, it was like nauseating. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I actually wanted to say, "Can I just eat by myself today?" <laughs> and he's like, "What? Why? I thought we were buds." <laughs> well, that's what Mark said too, Damn. because he said he would just start like, "Hey, hey," and he just start peeling it off. <laughs> it was disgusting. <laughs> um, can we can we talk a little bit about about the vectors without? without giving too much away. Um, So I want to know, what was your original conception for what these things are and how they think and how that may have evolved over time? I I know you can't necessarily give uh, reveals away, but can you tell us just sort of from the genesis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we always wanted these vector-like things to be on screen. And like most people, um, I watched The Walking Dead at the beginning, and I thought, yes. not only is this show a big hit, um, it does a, some things really, really well. But we weren't The Walking Dead, um, and we knew that from the beginning. And the way I always thought about these vectors were, they're the human embodiment of a virus, and they should behave the way a virus does. Um, you know, before I ever wrote this, I read a bunch of books on viruses and thought about how to sort of personify them. Um, in various ways. So that's how it was very, very sort of different than The Walking Dead. Again, it's a good show, but as the seasons go on, a lot of times I think, I- I'm not so scared of the zombies anymore. I feel like the humans have a pretty good handle on how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always wanted these guys to not only be aggressive and act in ways that were a constant threat, but also be able to evolve so that every time we thought we figured it out, much like a virus in real life, you can't. I think that's how we can sustain um this series, because every time they think they have a handle on how to control this, the viruses will be different. So right. it's similar. It's similar to more of a Resident Evil aspect in, in that, a way, because like they evolve over time into new and different and more dangerous and more volatile creatures. Yes. Okay, because like, we see that in we see that in Neil's character that he's now this intelligence wielding this intelligence wielding vector mm-hmm. he can yeah. still talk it's very difficult but he can still access those parts of his brain and he's not he's not a pure he's not pure virus he's not just personifying a virus his latent emotions are still there mm-hmm. the memories still exist why is he different <laughs> that remains to be seen but he is different yeah. and actually one of the great things about the episodes that we're coming up to um, and that we're starting really with 10 is that there's a reason why this is happening now, mm-hmm. and, and all the characters we've kind of talked about are different in small ways that will make them important. But the important thing is, yes, he is different, and, and you guys have already picked up on that. The question will be why, and, and how is that important? Okay. I think I just got a little little hint, maybe. Maybe, what if, what if Peter knows exactly what Hiroyuki is and knows all about Ilaria? What, you mean, like, before he got infected? Like he found out. And yeah, then... no, like no, like he's been in on it. Like he knows he knows exactly mm. what um, what Hataki's goals are, and that's why at this point, this is the point in time where he volunteered to take the experimental drug because he needed to become he he, it, he they I needed someone to become a silver. Something. You're saying do you you're saying you think he volunteered? Like I mean, yeah. 
I think somebody needed to become a silver to throw off the balance for some reason, and I think he took that upon himself because he knows what's going on with the so, Laria. So then what's his incentive to lie to Alan about the fact that he was just a, a, a lab assistant? I don't know that. So I that's, mean, like, because we, I mean, there's a lot of lying on this show. Yeah. Especially. Between Peter, Alan, and Julia. Yeah, well, and there's Hitaki. a lot of lying there, yeah. yeah. Hitaki is, like, he's the master liar. Like we saw in episode 10, he just, like, reacts with a lie. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's what makes that character very brilliant, is that yeah. he's just, like, he's been living in that lie world for so long. Now he's having to tell the truth, and it's uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, I, I want to I ask a couple of things. Uh, will we... First of all, is the reason why Peter different, is it something that we've already seen but we haven't connected the dots? Are the clues already laid out or is it going to be a, di- a new piece of information? Because like, on this show we've talked about was he infected with both Narvik A and B in the pilot? We couldn't remember. We couldn't be sure. Um, we have that. We have T, the woman that he supposedly started a relationship with. That's kind of an open loop. Will we see that close this season? Here's what I'll say. Okay. Um, look. <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of those responses. <laughs> you are going to get a lot of those responses. <laughs> um, there are clues about about why Peter's different. But I think the most important thing to remember is that these characters are people too, including the vectors. And mm. people make decisions and people lie and people make choices simply because of their characters. Um, and I think we will see that in the next three episodes as we go forward, that, you know, for all of the, the planning um, and sort of strategy that the various people go into this show with, and the, I mean, the characters, people make decisions, um, and their decisions will, will haunt them and shape the course of the show. And a lot of that just comes out of character. Cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. Not the answer I, no, you wanted, I'm, but I, it's the truth. It is a very good answer. <laughs> Connecting more dots. Let's yeah. just say Peter knew about what Hitaki was doing for a while, and now Peter is one that's close to Julia, and Hitaki's trying to keep an eye on Julia. Just throwing that out there. If uh, Peter doesn't know why he's been spying on Julia, if he doesn't know that that one piece of the story, he I don't know be, about uh, that. I think maybe he now he does. Did. Well, now he does. I think, I think he knew before. Okay. Okay, sorry. Yes. Going off on a tangent. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to talk about you know the process of shooting the show. Do you have an episode yeah. that was your your favorite to to film, or the one that you're most proud of? Well, I mean, I think like a lot of people, I would say the pilot. And the reason why the pilot was so fun was that one years went into getting the pilot yeah. um, off the ground, and everyone was really coming together for the first time. And the reason that was fun is our characters in the show are coming together for the first time, and a lot of these actors didn't really know each other and didn't even know the whole story when they were coming together for the first time. So it was sort of art replicating the production process in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a great pilot director. His name's Jeff Reiner, and he really sort of pulled it together. But it was a great month putting it together, and, and we were really proud of the way it came out. Great. Yeah. I'm so. very curious how you make those decisions on, like, how much information you give to an actor. Because we talked <laughs> to the actors a little bit about that, about, like, how much they knew going forward. And you, you have all the cards, mm-hmm. and you have to decide which ones to show them. So where, how do you, where in the process do you fill them in on the backstory that, that we don't know as viewers? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a strategic thing. And, I mean, just a little insight into the process. Sometimes if you give the actor the whole story, they tend to play the end for where they are. And our actors are great, and they wouldn't do that. But keeping them in suspense actually worked for the show as well. So, no, we would meet our information out exactly when they needed to know, hoping that they would play it that way. And we think, by and large, they have. But, no, when they tell you they didn't know, 
they don't know. Oftentimes, it was funny. One of our um, EPs is on the set the whole time, Brad Turner, who came off 24. Um, and he <laughs> he said watching them open the scripts the first time was really fun because they didn't know oftentimes or have any clue even what was going to happen next. Yeah. So it was exciting for the entire cast and crew to read it together. Um, so no, no one had a head start other than the writer's room. Okay. And so, the writer's room is in Los Angeles, and we filmed in Montreal, too. Yeah. So there was no way for them to sort of get information. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell, tell us about the writer's room. How did you choose your writing staff? Um, what was your relationship with Ron? Did he ever come and, and join you? I know he's also working on that show, Outlander yeah. for Stars. Um, you've got Javi Griot-Marxwatch uh, yes. uh, from Lost and The Middleman. Like, how did you build this team together? Well, we had a little bit of a lead start at the beginning. Okay. So um, we had about a month to put together the writer's room. Mm -hmm. And like all shows, we got huge stacks of scripts. And there were just certain people who really just sort of jumped out. We knew we wanted a mixed group. Yeah, um, yeah. Javi was one of the great people we brought on. Uh, I, I was a fan of Lost. Uh, and I, I like the way he writes in general. Yeah. Um, he also brought sort of a good... Um, he has a fun personality. I don't know if you guys have met him, but... No. Uh, we'll be meeting him next week for the after show. Yeah, yeah. He, he brings a good energy to the room. Yeah. Um, and then we brought someone off Heroes, uh, mm -hmm. who I alluded to earlier, uh, Misha Green. Um, and then we sort of just filled out the room from there all the way down. Um, I think like all shows, though, we really wanted a diverse group of people. And, and we did have a diverse group. Um, they definitely had never worked together, and they all sort of came in with very different perspectives on the show and sort of shaped it from there. Hmm, cool. Now, do they read your pilot before they submit, or is it... Yeah, they read it before they come in for the meeting. Okay. So that way they have things to say and, right. <laughs> and ideas. And, and it's not so much that you're judging them based on their ideas, but certain people, including everyone that we brought onto the show, was really excited about it and had ideas about where it was going. And that was okay. fun. Yeah. Uh, going into casting a little bit, were there any... I don't know if you can tell us any of this. Were there any tough choices regarding between actors for different roles? Or was it kind of like as soon as you saw... Uh, Billy Campbell. Billy Campbell, you're like, he's got, he, that's the guy. And as soon as you saw Hiroyuki, he's like, that's the guy. Um, I would say it was both. Um, he, Billy Campbell and Hiroyuki Sonata, they didn't read for the role. Those were offers. And actually, when I wrote Sonata's role, um, Pataki, I was picturing him. So that, <laughs> that's a really unusual thing as a writer, to be writing something and thinking of a character. Because I love Sunshine. I don't know if you guys have seen Sunshine. Mm -hmm. um, he has a mm -hmm. very good face, a very expressive face. Yeah. Um, so he was actually exactly who I was thinking of for that role. And then Billy was an offer. I mean, I love Billy. I remember him as a kid from Rocketeer, but I, I watched The Killing, too, and mm -hmm. I thought that he brought a lot to that role. The other roles oftentimes came through videotape from Canada. Um, the other actors are Canadian. Uh, and yes, sometimes they were tough decisions, but ultimately we all agreed on the people that we brought in. So... Um, it was a tricky process because yeah. you, you get hundreds of these reels and you would watch them at night. But the people that we ended up going with really, really stood out. So we were thrilled. What was fun, though, was when I flipped to Montreal for the pilot, I had never met some of them. Um, and that was sort of a really fun experience because even if you see multiple reels, it's not the same as meeting someone in person. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I think we made the right choices. So. Yeah. Uh, can we talk really quickly about the decision to kill off Doreen? She was a fan favorite early <laughs> on. She, you know, popped know. in the pile. Yeah, of course. She's actually waiting outside the door to beat you <laughs> up. Yeah. Cat Lemieux She's couldn't beat up that. anyone. Yeah, yeah you killed off my relative. Yeah. <laughs> Your um, next was, was she always envisioned as sort of a sacrificial lamb? Like, we needed some death early on to, like, make it feel like anyone could go? 
the short answer is yes. Yeah. Her character was created to die, and we knew when she was going to die yeah. um, from the very, very beginning. Um, we expected the audience to like her because we liked her. And even the press stuff I've done with her, she's just extremely sort of, she's just kind of charming, and, and she's very easy to love. But we wanted a character who was easy to love. Hopefully, it, you would be angry and pro- so we could kill her and, and provoke a strong reaction, and we got that. Yeah. Um, but she's great. I mean, I, I really like her. Are you upset that there wasn't more monkeys used? <laughs> we have to ask. Monkeys. Can well, we have more monkeys? Well, first of all, this, the series isn't over. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> They're frozen. So excited. Oh, no, they got burned to death. There I don't might know. be one left. There is one left. Oh, my God. We still have that missing monkey. <laughs> I do. I do like that you guys freak out over the, the monkeys, monkeys. But then I look on like the Twitter. When I look on the Twitter and look at the pictures and everything of the cast, there's like shirts with monkeys on that says monkeys. Yeah. I have that I shirt. Want yeah. one. <laughs> I mean, that monkey for one thing, it, it's an amazing thing. It, it's heavy and it's scary. Ooh. We have pictures of me cuddling with it. It's also <laughs> very expensive to build monkeys like that. Believe it or not, it, incredibly expensive. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that that frozen monkey field scene when I wrote that. Yeah. I, that was a big part of the reason the series got off the ground. That, I mean, yes. that, that scene was, was loved sort of unanimously um, in a way that yes. most scenes just aren't. People usually have different opinions on different things. That monkey frozen field scene unanimous. was unanimous. Well, it's the imagery. Agents, Monkeys. writers, producers, directors, nobody, everyone. Nobody was on PETA, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, it, it's, it's, it signifies <coughs> what's going on. It's like this signifies that this base is danger, yes. and they're all running from a semicircle out to get away, and they yes. all freeze in the Arctic. And then when they're burned, we can hear them screaming, yeah, which, which means adds that they were a still whole alive. A whole another level to it. Mm-hmm. Stephen shaking his head. Yeah. No, I'm just like <laughs> I just remember it. And okay, they're gonna hate me because I always bring this up. Did you ever watch Evolution? The, no. the movie? No. Because when... Is when, there a frozen monkey scene in that movie? No, but when but the, the thing that sparks the evolution in, like, the cells, the alien cells, is fire. And it, like, makes them blow up into these amoeboid things. And when I see the... When they culture the DNA and it turns into that big growing thing, I'm like, it's evolution with Orlando Jones and David Duchovny. <laughs> Um, my no. childhood. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to really quickly talk about iTunes just for a second, and then we're going to jump right back in. I already apologize. Uh, but he, here's the thing, folks. You know, we love being able to make this the best Helix After Show that we possibly can, getting great interviews with people like Cameron. It's it's a real pleasure to have him in the studio. Um, to do things like this, we, we really do need your support, and we appreciate everyone who has uh, reached out to us, who's, you know, rated the show, who's reviewed the show. It, it means a lot. It raises is the collective water level of the entire network, not just this show. It, it is the only way that we can prove to our bosses that not only are we doing a great job putting out this great podcast, but the audience is responding. It's the best way for iTunes to track its progress, and it's the easiest way for us to get sponsors. So please do what you can. It only takes a second. Go to iTunes, rate, review. Thank you, thank you. I just want to say... I love this podcast. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I have not done this on any other podcast yet, but I, I think these guys are great. I really mean that. So do what he says. Thanks. Thank do what he says or he kills that Doreen again. Right? Yeah. 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 Do it or he kills Miksa. I, I will kill a different character every week until you guys all sign up. If you guys think that George R.R. R. Martin yeah. is somebody to fear, you have not met Cameron yet because it will go down. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds kind of cool. I like having a showrunner in our corner. This is pretty cool. 
We're gonna we're gonna have the Sarah and Billy red wedding. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. But she'll be immortal, guys. It's cool. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I I want to know. Uh, I have a Sergio question. Um, his journey's been one I think one I think of the most rewarding parts of the season so far. Uh, how much does he know about Alaria? I don't know that he's aware that they're immortal. I think he just knows that they're powerful. Well, it's a really good question. It's one that we even thought about a lot. Right. The answer is he knows some, but not all. Mm -hmm. And as he grows to know more and more, he'll shift again. I mean, one of the reasons I really love his character is you never really know what side he's on, but he never really knows what side he's on. He's going through a real sort of transformative experience. Mm -hmm. I would say for the first time in that character's life. And uh, I think that's why Mark really sort of loves playing the character. Um... I think he loves playing the dark and the good side. He likes being likable. Mark's a very likable guy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and <laughs> he brought us candy. So you did he really? Yeah. yeah. He did. Well, I brought that box for you. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say you win. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. So, yeah. We're we can't. Gonna, we can't eat the box, but it. we can yeah. keep the box. <laughs> yeah. Um. That's actually interesting that you say that. With he'll ch he's changed and he'll change again because that kind of reminds me of the. The one, the silver eyes we found chained up, where he had Gunner. to choose a side. Gunner had to choose a side, and what that kind of means is that there is a reason to choose the side of the five hundred. And even if it's like maybe the greater good or maybe it's money, we don't know what that motivation is. But because there's information we don't know, I mean, let's say Mark and Ime, um let's say Sergio finds out that the five hundred are actually working towards some greater plan that's for the benefit. And there's a reason behind it that makes sense, and he switches again. Hmm. I mean... I mean, presented with... Look, we assume that there is some sort of redeeming factor to whatever they're up to, whether it's to save the planet at the expense of humanity, to save humanity at the expense of some other part of the of the world. Right. Who knows? But, like, the, so if there are two sides with both redeeming qualities to them, it makes that's going to be a huge struggle. Decision, yeah, and, yeah. I'm, and Sergio's now... Right smack in the middle of it. It's like the Star Trek movie. They got to save the whales. Yeah. Star Trek. <laughs> He's talking about Star Trek for the whale home. I thought you were going to V'ger, and I'm like, that's the what? Yeah. No. And then you went to the no, whales. No, bro. We're talking about the whales, man. That's save the, the one whales, bro. We'll kill all humanity. Save the whales. I guess the one thing I would say is, any writer will tell you that the bad guys on their show or their movie don't think they're bad. They're guys. the heroes yeah, of the story. That's that's standard stuff. Yeah. But I think when shows and movies are at their best is when the audience starts to wonder who the good and the bad guys are. Mm -hmm. And that's something you can play with a lot more in television because you have you simply just have more time and space to do it. Yeah. And I think as the show progresses, there will be compelling issues on both sides to where it's not always entirely clear who you want to root for. Yeah. Um, All right. I, I think that'd be interesting for season two is if we were getting it from the Ilaria company's perspective. Because I mean, if you if you really wanted to, you could recreate this series mm. from their perspective. Yeah. As oh, if you started day one again. <coughs> you started day one again from their perspective, and we do the same thirteen days over the course, and we see every single side of it leading up to whatever catastrophic thing. Sorry, I'm that, already, I'm already, I'm I'd off. S I'd say that's good, but that yeah. would close it off at two seasons because there's no way you're going to do three seasons of the same 13 um, days. You're wrong. There's at least six seasons worth of stuff in there. <laughs> but you could do an overlap of like six of the days. I'm just then... talking about a different, a different, um, yeah, yeah, maybe an overlap of six days moving forward in the story. But I'm talking about, if you look at it from their perspective, if at the end of season one we find out the reason Ilaria is doing what they're doing <clears throat> And from an audience perspective, we're like, oh, man, that actually does make sense. Then the next season could open up with 
people in the ranks of the 500, not going to like House of Cards status, like the general whip of the 500. (laughs) 500. No, you just said 100. You say 100. 100. 500. I'm from North Carolina. Give me a break. Um, I love it. Then it'd be interesting to see the audience's perspective as if the next Hataki or the next CDC are the villains because they're trying to prevent this end game from happening that's for the betterment of the human race. Yeah, and what I love about that is like, we t- you're talking about Lost a little bit before I was a huge fan, and that's what I loved about like characters like Ben, Li- ben Linus and the Dharma Initiative, is that they're not bad or good, they're just, they're complicated people and a complicated organization that has confusing motives for everybody mm-hmm. involved. Yeah. What is the Willis hypothesis? <laughs> what is the Willis hypothesis? <laughs> yes, please, please tell us, Cameron. <laughs> Whose idea was it for Alan... To have the raspy voice. <laughs> Christian Bale was on set for a day, right? Like, I need to know, like, was that just his own take on bringing the character, or did you guys want him to kind of sound like he hasn't slept in a couple of days? You know, you guys have touched on this issue more than <laughs> anyone. <laughs> well, just because we've heard him in it's interviews and he has this very like sweet, curious. smooth voice, ordinarily, he's we putting heard it, on a voice. We heard his regular voice yeah. when he was in the truck this on episode 10, though. You could tell that he, he wasn't doing the raspiness. Well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh God! So two things. One, Billy. Billy yeah. came up with it himself. Yeah. Um, but I, I think what I think what it kind of shows is there's a certain desperation to the situation, and there's a certain sort of exhausted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it will build up, and there, there will be moments when he will sort of explode. It's a funny thing. Me and uh, Jordan Hayes, one of the actors on the show who plays Sarah Jordan, we drove down to San Diego last month to see his play, um, and. And it's funny, when you see him up on stage, I identify him so much as Alan Farragut, this character I created two years ago, Right. that when you see him playing someone else with a very different voice, there's a part of me that's like, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> what's, what's wrong with Billy? He's just laying a stinking load of crap up there. <laughs> and the reality is, yeah. he just has tremendous range as an actor. Yeah. And this is what he chose to do here. That's great. So. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I had another... Great gotcha question, but now it's gone. <laughs> Why are you? He's yeah. he's loaded up on cough syrup, and you're trying to go the gotcha question. On this show, I know. I'm being. I th- I think I'm not being entirely fair, but I'm trying my best. So it's, I'll it's ask tempting. a fill, I'll ask a filler question in the meanwhile. Sure. Oh. Um. We have to figure out a song for when Grillo's here. Or the writers are here. So, the Helix the musical. What what song should we create a Helix the musical song with? <laughs> You guys have been doing such a good job so far. Oh, I almost don't want to get involved in this process. Really? They all like wind up aborted halfway through. Oh, I'm on a boat. It was great. Oh, <laughs> there we go, Zach. That See, was brilliant. That made my day. Yeah. All right. I have to ask a question because it's come up on the show a lot. And this is, I think, is going to make Steven very happy. The fusion chamber... That was brought. That was shown the first time they went down to level R. Like this is episode two or three. Is that ever coming back? Or was that just a thing? Over the course of the series, yes. Okay. I will. I mean, I think what's important to take away from that is this base has a history unto itself. Mm-hmm. The Alaria Corporation has a history unto itself. And and Ataki, at this point it's very clear, isn't doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, but th- there have been various agendas of the Alaria Corporation over the years. And that fit into one of those agendas. I think the most interesting part of that was what what when they tell us last episode that they put the base on top of an older base. So it means that Alaria has been working with an Arctic base 
for so long. For generations. So that kind of opens the door for other governments involved mm-hmm. and everything. Like, you never know. And then we have that second base nearby that they were Right, the Echelon uh, listening yeah. station. Well, wasn't the wasn't the um, the base underneath? Wasn't it like a Russian bunker or something like that originally? It, that, yeah, that's I believe it was a Russian bunker, but that doesn't mean that the Ilaria was not behind. But that's what it. I'm saying is like partnering with the Russians during the Cold War and mm-hmm. taking advantage of their resources to forward their cause. And I mean, we have both Hitachi and Sutton clearly from different backgrounds, right? So this isn't like oh, it's a. Uh, right. Out of like Russia, they're all from Russia. This Based is... on Cameron's expression, I'm going to say we're wrong <laughs> about it being the Russians. Well, I think viewing it as Russians or viewing it as Japanese or anything like that is wrong in this exactly. in this, in this exactly. situation right. because, I mean, I think it's safe to say major heads of every government are part of the 500 at this point. I mean, if you're going to look at it this way, I mean, there's no way to deny that. <laughs> Sitting in this room is like playing poker. But see, I'm looking at Matt and I'm looking at you, and I think you're just reacting to Matt's grin. Matt has a very expressive face. That's uh, true. I, Matt, Matt could be an actor. Yeah. You mean it? Yes. On this show, only a vector. But on other shows, oh, <laughs> oh. extra status. I'm kidding. Don't kid with me here. I do act. This is a thing. I'm kidding with you. Damn it. You have a very expressive face. Thank you. You do. Thank you. What were we just talking about? Um, right? We were just talking about them having positions in, in greater power. government, and they oh. they allude to that when they say. Oh, well, if they die, we have people set up in place for that. And that makes me think that even people in the CDC are part of Ilaria as well. This could be like almost like a, a Freemasons, like, conspiracy-style, like, secret organization that's running not just, like, whatever they're doing down there, but everything. It where you have, like, this president and this uh, vice chairman in, like, yeah. some country over in Africa. And Julia, knows, and Julia knows everything, is what we were told. So, like, we don't know... What caused her shift in episode 10, but maybe it's memories that came back to her. Maybe there's more information that she didn't know beforehand. Maybe she was on her mother's, or maybe she was against what her mother and father were doing. We never know. Um, that's maybe getting. Her mom's ahead. What? Maybe. Oh, maybe her mom's still ahead? Yeah. It's. Because Sutton's the one who took out her mom, because the yeah. doctor betrayed her mom to take her out. Um, I, I will say one thing about the heads. Heads, to me, are the scariest thing on earth, but I can't take credit for that idea. If you want to see the scariest version of Severed Heads, you need to watch Return to Oz. Have you oh, guys seen yeah. that movie? That movie is messed up. Nightmares for years. Yeah. It's not a children's movie. My parents thought it was, apparently, at that moment. So, <laughs> many, so <laughs> many parents did, yes. and it scarred a whole generation. I completely agree. Yeah. I think there is a whole generation of probably TV writers who walk around still having nightmares about those scenes. I want to see <laughs> it. If you it's, like Severed Heads. It's so messed up. It's so messed you up. Will I love, love it. messed up things. So the, it, the idea didn't come from Futurama? <laughs> no. <laughs> Another good show, but yeah. no. <laughs> All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a couple of will we learn dot, dot, dot this season questions okay. so that we're not asking directly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it- will we learn who actually called the CDC this season? No. Will we learn the role that Dr. Havit plays in all of this this season? Not the specific role, no. Okay. Does anyone else have any of these? This is your opportunity. Just remind me of I'm that Guess Who game. One. Like, is your person wearing a hat? Like guess a- Who? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Does he look like a bitch? No. <laughs> that, that oh, oh. Uh, from Pulp Fiction? Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, 
I don't want to ask these questions because when it's yes yeah. or no, it's like <laughs> yes, it, 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 it blurs, ruins it. It blurs what the real issue is, which is you will learn a little bit more in exciting ways that and will blossom know, in season two. I know, Cameron, I know. but I want to know now in exciting <laughs> ways. Are we? I don't know if you can even answer this. Are we going to see some familiar faces come back if there is a season two? It was always look. This is <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yes. Uh, we're very fond of this cast, yeah, and yeah. so the answer is is yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And it's it's an if, um, but obviously we are cautiously optimistic um, that there will be a season two. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm in love with uh, not only these characters but the cast. I mean, I, you guys have met some of these people. Yeah, they're, they're ma- wonderful people. Yeah. You know, you never know what to expect your first time doing this. Yeah, I actually hang out with these people, and I like them. Yeah, so. Yeah, we would like to hang out. I mean, we did hang yeah. out with them. Like, we're it's just so, chilling. It's so weird. Every week watching the show, now we've met so many <laughs> that like it's like, oh, Kira, watch out! I mean, I, I mean, Julia. I watched that episode when Kira was on, and I we watched the episode right before we interviewed her, and I kept on looking, and she was like next to me. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like it was just weird. Like I like I can. I've never done that before in my life. I, I genuinely don't know if my attachment to the character of Peter is because of like his arc on the show or when Neil came oh, into the studio that. or both. I it's love both. Neil. It's both. Were you in were you were you on the uh, the sound stage when they recorded the Thanksgiving scene? No, no, none of us were Oh no. we, we loved that scene. Oh, yeah, who, no, and I wish we were. Who came up with the idea for, for that scene? That was the entire writer's it was room. the whole room. I mean we always knew that we wanted hallucinations to be an important part of the role. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially for Julia, um, but no, that was a writer's room thing. I yeah. cannot take credit for that. There's a wonderful sense of humor to the show um, in moments. Yeah, yeah, like Victor Adrian in this last episode when he's taunting them about their marriage. I just couldn't stop giggling <laughs> like a child. And is that is that everybody? Is that a conscious decision? Like we need some levity. Yeah, it absolutely was, and I could tell you where that came from originally. Um, Battlestar Galactica, again, I think one of the greatest sci-fi series ever. Agreed. Um, one of the better TV shows ever, I would say. Yeah. Um, there weren't a lot of moments of levity. Um, and one thing we've always been asked is, are you going to have more of those? And, and the short answer is, no, not a lot of them. When you think about what the show's about, <laughs> there isn't a lot of spaces for humor. But whenever there was, we tried to exploit it. Um, and it feels like there are moments to like let the tension out. So, yes, we did try to make a concerted effort to put those scenes in, but we were very careful about metering it out. Okay. Um, Whose idea was it for Dr. Jordan to say, please sleep with me, Alan? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We were talking about this before the show. Yeah, I heard it on the podcast last week. Um, Again, that that was a writer's room. I mean, look, we, as a collective group, own every Okay. Um, So the the best lines are from the room. You're not throwing anyone under the bus. No, the best lines, and and maybe some of the lines you don't like, again, are a product of the entire room. No, like, it makes me love the show more, (coughs) but I was just like... Who says that? Like, just, I can't. I heard so, you. Um, no, it, it was all of us. We own okay. it. Awesome. You, Somebody, you've never had a stage four tumor and had sex with Billy Campbell before. Yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> well, Jesus, there's still time. When it's Billy Campbell, you just you ask nicely and clearly. Right. So he doesn't and you don't go Batman be graphic. voice on You gotta, you know. She's hey, you know what? She's all about the work. She's very smart. I mean, she, she likes she knew being it wasn't polite. Yet, you know. So. Have you ever been drunk and said something out of character? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm always a character. You're always in character. She's always in character. She's very impressive. Very good actress. Um, So we talked about this a little bit before the show, but we have we have a theory. I have a theory. I don't know who's on board. Who's on the Stephen train with this theory? With 
the Greek gods and going back I to love that. This theory. And what? we talked on it a little bit we before the show of what week. your what your inspirations were for you know because you love history. I'm I'm assuming at this point. Um, like, what kind of were your inspirations for the areas of history that you wanted the show to go through and to reference? Well, we never we never thought about it as specific moments in history. But here's what I would say: I, I'm a huge fan of Greek mythology. I, as a kid, it's hard not to be. Yeah, it's just so foreign to anything we know. And you know, I, I've been in India a lot, and Indian um, in the Hindu culture, they have hundreds of gods. And and even in my own religious upbringing, which we touched on a little bit before we started, but um. I, I was raised with my father as a Muslim and my mother as a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. They have very different, wow. uh, yeah, wow. radically different perspectives on religion, um, and and it definitely shaped me. So I would say that Greek mythology, um, the Bible, all those things, th- there are elements of that in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not the first sci-fi show to do that either. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say Battlestar had elements of religion in it too. Absolutely, and so do we. But when I hear you guys talk about those things, I guess what I would say is we love that stuff too. Okay. And, and that's about as much as I will I'll get right. into that. Uh, and off that real quick, the eyes are huge symbolism in the show. We have water, which is a large symbolism, mm-hmm. and then we have the eyes. And is going water a symbolism? Because well, I feel like it was in the first in the first episode. But I feel it's like it's the it first episode, and then he, it was brought up in episode ten when he's like, oh, "We can survive with so many days off water." Blah 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 blah. That kind of stuff. I don't know it for quote quote. That's why I said blah. Um, <laughs> But the eyes, because going back into Greek myth- mythos and going back into mythos in general, eyes just are a piercing factor of any character. So was it originally your idea to have the silver eyes be part of it? Like to have the eyes be the defining feature of telling these people apart? No, that is one thing that I definitely did not come up with myself. What we thought about was what would be a good visual manifestation um, as a way to show it, but also an easy place to hide it. Um, and I think you can make an argument that eyes are the hardest thing to hide, mm-hmm. and yet we sort of found a way to hide them. Um, I will say one funny thing on the production uh, element of it. We were talking about making contacts for everyone, and it turns out colored contacts are extremely expensive to make. And two, we can't really share them between the actors because that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that was the consensus that that was completely inappropriate, um, regardless of cost. But... Um, it, it was a conscious choice to make the eyes. We came up with that as a room. And I, I think it works well for the reasons that you're seeing and that you can remove sort of mm-hmm. the, the the cloak very, very easily, but you can also put them back. That was the idea. I'm yeah. curious, were there were there other options that you, like, toyed with, like, that right up to the end before you made that decision? Uh, there were other options for everything. I, we really talked about They were going to make them redheads. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I can or... say with certainty that was never a thought. <laughs> okay. So in this, in this episode, um, when, we're, when we're with Gunner, he talks about a little bit the genesis of how they became these immortals. He said they, f- they found this secret, this miracle. Rebirth. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, well, rebirth is painful, but he says that they, they found it. It wasn't something that they, they weren't born this way. Uh, they became it. Is it safe to say that they were once human? I, I would interpret that in the <coughs> loosest possible way. Okay. It, it's more of a metaphor. His entire speech, I would think of, is a metaphor. For, okay. For, I mean, found series as a whole. Found, found can be discovered. Be, yeah, discovered through science. Discovered through. It's just like Sarahism. Sarah found the fact that the DNA reverts back without the particles on it. Like it basically right. turns it into the DNA mm-hmm. of a child just born. Um, so we are coming up on that crucial moment in 
any series where they're kind of waiting for that season to go ahead, mm-hmm. and they're, I mean, we're, we're hitting episode 11 next week. Yes. So there's three more, right? There's three there's episodes. 13. Yeah, there's three episodes. 11, 12, 13. Yeah, yeah three, three episodes, episodes left. left. And when can we expect to know whether there's going to be a season two or not, and what can we do to help that along? I know yes. we have, there's lots of people who are shouting, tweeting out, hey guys, tweet out Renew Helix, check out this website, Renew Helix. Um, what is I don't the, know if producers even really look at that, so I'm wondering what are the things we can do to... What's a, yeah, what's a way that we can concentrate fan response in one place? Because I worry with shows like this, and I was telling you before, that it's one of those shows that, like the first season of Breaking Bad, it didn't really have that live viewer base to begin with, but then when people saw it on Netflix, when people heard about it after the season, they watched it and they binge-watched it, and they absolutely fell in love with it. And I feel like this is going to be one of those shows where... The, the the studio is going to be deeply regretting if they don't give it a season two because it really does need a season two to keep the fans entertained. We feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what the short answer to it. I mean, I should begin by saying that all of the Twitter activity and the people who set up that website were incredibly grateful for that stuff. Um, like, <laughs> actually, I tweeted this, but I meant it. Kind of brought a tear to my eye that these people were making. Um, they're really going out of their way because they love the show. Um, as producers, I mean. We all want the show to continue. Yeah. At this point, I feel like the best thing that we can do is get one friend to watch it. Okay. If everyone can get one friend to watch it for these last three episodes, it'll give us that bump that I think pushes over the edge. But I think, again, to echo the words I used earlier, we're cautiously optimistic. We have a lot of reasons to think that we're going to be good to go. Great. Um, and part of that also is just doing stuff like what you guys are doing. So um, I don't have a targeted plan. <laughs> Well, and always that reminder to not just watch, but watch live or as close to live as you possibly can. Watching live and then day plus one are very important ratings. If you DVR it, watch it within 24 hours. If you can watch it the same night that it airs, you know, even just a little Mm -hmm. later, huge, huge difference. Uh, If if a lot of you don't know how DVR ratings are examined uh, by the networks, I'll give you just a brief overview. Um, There's what's called uh, live plus same day. Uh, live mm-hmm. plus one, live plus three, live plus seven. They measure how many people are watching with, within the f- day that it airs, the first day after, three days after, and the whole week. The most important ratings are the day that it airs. And if you can't do it the day that it airs, you watch it the next day. You know, it, it is so important that if you DVR it, you watch it as soon as possible. It really does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And one other thing I would say is one of the fun things, and other shows do this too, but our cast is very active in tweeting the shows live, yeah. and I think it really kind of adds to the experience. So if you can, try it staying home on a Friday night and watching it. Yeah. I, I think it, it it gives it a little bit of an edge that you wouldn't get watching it on a Saturday or Sunday. Having said that, I completely get it, and you're completely right. If you can't watch it Friday, watch it Saturday. If you can't do that, watch it before Monday. Yeah. Please. <laughs> I, have, I have one question for you, though, because... You've entered this world of television. You've entered this world of the science fiction series and everything. What, it's going to get renewed. I'm saying that right now, putting that out there. Yes. But whether it does, are you going to stay in this career? Do you think that this is where you want to be for the rest of your life, basically, is in this niche television or just television in general, creating shows and working with actors and doing what you've been doing. Yeah, I love what I do. I, I couldn't be happier. And, and I'm lucky that it happened so quickly for me to have your own show. But yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I want Helix to run 10 seasons, and I, I very much hope it does. But um, 
yeah, no, I have other show ideas. And I'm incredibly excited about those too. Great. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then let's get let's get seven seasons of Helix under our belts, so you can start the production shingle and start yes. making. Well, that that actually raises an interesting question. Do you, um, <coughs> for me, mm. do you have like a a finite goal for Helix? Like the same way that like Lost, they knew we can't go forever. The show eventually has to wrap up here, and Does you don't Helix want to be Dexter. Ha- no, you're don't right. Does Helix Dexter. have that point? Look, I know where I want the show to end up. Okay. And I know the number of seasons that, in my mind, can sustain that. Cool. And, and I, I do think it's a mistake when shows run too long. I think the viewers think that. I think a lot of show creators feel that way, too. Sometimes there's pressure to extend a show. Um, you can read about yeah. that with shows like Lost. You can read about that on a lot of shows. But um, I think that this premise can sustain a, a number of seasons. I know how I want to do it. Um, and, yeah, yeah, there definitely is a plan. Cool. So, it's good to know. I, yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So great. Um, okay, it's uh, how much time do you have? I have as much time as we need. I only have one more cup of cough syrup. If you guys notice <laughs> me swapping cups, this isn't water. There's five cups of cough syrup in the me. I am rotating between. He's just balls to the wall. He's doing it for the right fans, right guys. He's doing it for the fans. And I have to admire you on the job you're doing, keeping your cards. Thank you. Held up, considering how buzzed you are. Yes, yes. <laughs> but this is kind of fun in a way. I, I didn't yeah. know the cough syrup could do this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Sip and scissor, man. Yeah. That's let's why they challenge. use it to make math. Play some yeah. wheezy. Okay. So you guys um, at home don't know what's in these mugs right. that we um, always drink. It's actually Ziz. We were actually thinking, I was thinking of going to the store today and buying, like, Hershey syrup, almond extract, and, like, all the things, and being like, Creating Ziz with Cameron Persanda. <laughs> Persanda. Um, okay, I think we should all go around the table, each ask one more question, and then we should we should wrap up. Um, Liz, do you have a... You're going to start with the person with no voice? All right. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to think about it. All right. Well, Matt, why don't you, you, okay. why don't you yeah, kick Matt. off? All right. I'll, I'll kick things off. Um, one of the things that I love, you know, most about this show, it draws from it draws from a lot of a, a lot of different influences. Uh, you know, we talked about sort of the kernel that led you to the show, but like, what are what are your favorite things in pop culture that you feel are are brought to the table with this show? Like, uh, that were influences or just yeah, things influences I love? influences uh, that you feel like you wear on your sleeve. Wow. Um. Well, there are shows that I love right now. Yeah. If you haven't seen the French version of The Returned... Oh, it's so good. It's great. Um, yeah. And actually, Carlton Cuse is working on a version for that, for A&E as we speak. Oh, cool. um, but it, it's brilliant. And I, I think what I love about it is the mystery sort of opens up very, very slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it takes it in such a different direction than I expected when that show started. I mean, one of the big things for me is w- when you sh- think a show is going in a familiar direction and then it ratchets in a different direction, that show does that really, really well. Um, look, I just finished True Detective. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I haven't seen the finale. I don't say anything. I won't say anything. <laughs> but it felt like nothing I'd ever seen before. Yeah. And, and I love that trend in television, too. I mean, I don't know if you know how that series worked, but one guy directed the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it, it it feels very cohesive in an interesting way. I think that's a new trend in television right. um, that we should watch out for. Um, People talk about, like, the novelization of uh, or like series basically being more like novels you know like going back to the wire and how it felt like just one big cohesive 
uh, novel told in five parts. And I feel like having a director like Cary Fukunaga mm-hmm. to do the whole thing, you're right, it gives you that sort of long-form feel of, like, I'm getting one complete story with one complete vision, one writer, one director throughout. Yes, yeah. I, I completely agree. And I actually use The Wire, too. You could call The Wire five sections of one story yeah. where they keep restarting, but it, it's really the same story about systems over and over again. Um, and I love that. I mean, look, guys, I, I think I don't even go to the theater that often anymore. Mm-hmm. I love television. I think there's a lot of reason to think that it's only going to get better. Great. So I know that's not exactly what you asked, but, no. but that's, that's how I'm I I'm very happy moment. with the answer. Uh, Steven? You go, Zach. <laughs> I'm still thinking about a question. Yeah, I mean, I have pansies. Well, we've had, I have a we've question. Had a, some, go. Will you follow me on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will absolutely do that. Yes. Sweet. See, that's a good use of a question. Thank you. Yeah. I think I'm only following like 30 people, so it's yeah. good. I, I will do that. Okay. My heart hurts, and so does my throat. <laughs> um, have you had any crazy t- things happen on Twitter and like w- interacting with the fans like what what crazy things have you experienced I will tell you one crazy thing and I was sharing this with um, Mark and Neil we all had drinks last week okay. but this was this was the most bizarre thing I've ever experienced I had a guy come up to me in a bar um, it's already good Yeah, how he even knew I, I don't even understand how this came to be but he came up and said you don't know anything about the military you've never been in the military and I said I'm a writer. And he said, the way you portrayed that, you've never been in the military. He kept going back to the fact that I'd never been in the military. And then he pushed me. This was shocking in ways. But here's the takeaway. It it diffused. And we all hugged each other at the end. But to inspire that kind of reaction, um, it was a little bit scary, but it was a little bit awesome, too, that someone could have that kind of... That kind of emotion about anything. Yeah. Completely foreign to me. Everyone laughed about it afterwards. But, um, yes, I would say that's the craziest <laughs> oh thing. God. That's yeah, happened I, by a mile. You moved someone so much that he forcibly moved you back. <laughs> yeah, was he just talking way, about, okay. like, I don't know what Mark's portrayal about. of Sergio? I, I don't know what he's talking okay. about. So you need to shove Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is Mark's fault. I called Mark and told him to come down and deal with it for me. But <laughs> he was back in Canada. Oh. I honestly can't think of a question. I've asked all the questions I can think of, yeah, and anything I ask would be spoiler-related, and I don't want that. And I, I mean, give an answer. I asked you before the show, and you're like, do you want me to tell you? And I'm like, you know what? I really don't, because we got three more weeks, and as somebody who works so much, this like having shows like this is what really kind of gets you. You look forward to something through the week, and you really mm-hmm. kind of need that. You don't want to know exactly what's happening. I am excited, however, to know that characters will be coming back in, sec- in the next season, and You're welcome. that kind of opens up the prediction chamber for when we do the after show yeah. tonight. And not necessarily, it could just be one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm down with that, too. I all have right. one last question. Okay, go for it. This is for me, right? <laughs> just me. That is for all of you. Okay. Yeah. She's talking about the wonderful <laughs> Helix you lied to me. box that we got. You lied to me, Cameron. <laughs> we'll figure out. We'll cut it into four pieces. Um, right. This has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, thanks Thank for having you me, so you guys. Much Thank, Thank you, you so much joining. for coming. It's, it's been a real pleasure thanks having you. Thanks for sharing you. your cough syrup. You're all going to be sick <laughs> <and> within <laughs> okay. like four hours. That's but. fine. Thanks for not running away when you see the residential property. But we... We love you. We love your show. Thank you for spending the time. Thank you, guys. Um, where can the folks at home follow you on Twitter? Oh, it's just my last name, which is hard to spell. It's P-O-R-S-A-N-D-E-H. Okay, at Porsanda. Uh, Liz Rishmaui, where can the people find you? Hey, guys. I can actually type, so you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at 
Oh, God. Matt, help. At Lizzie Maui, L-I-Z-Z-Y-M-A-W-Y. Yeah. Zach Wilson. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at that Zach Wilson. Okay. And also here at AfterBuzz, a uh, bunch of panels, Grimm, uh, Archer, and Resurrection, yes. which uh, just premiered. Check it out. Yes. Uh, Stephen. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen Lemieux, S-T-P-H-E-N-L-E-M-I-E-U-X, or as well doing the Twisted After Show here at AfterBuzz TV. Uh, make sure you guys tweet at us right on iTunes. Hashtag Ziz. Yes. Hashtag Balls and Bananas. Back to <laughs> Tribute Mark. Renew Helix. Hashtag I, Renew I sometimes Helix. just do a search for hashtag Ziz, and every yeah. time I see more things popping up that aren't us, I get really excited. Sweet. All right. Uh, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, which I imagine that you do, okay. you can find me at Matt Lieberman. What? What? I can say whatever I'm gonna, I I'm want. I'm going to put the counters <laughs> up. All right. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lieberman, M-A-T-T-L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N. You can also find me here on AfterBuzz TV on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Cougar Town, Justified on FX, uh, Lost Girl also on Sci-Fi, Banshee on Cinemax. I got Resurrection with Zach. I got Playing House on USA premiering in April, Mad Men coming back in April, and Orphan Black in April. So uh, keep your eyes open for That's that. That's only nine. Yeah, thank you all for joining us. There will be more. <laughs> Uh, That's only all. nine. And we will see you um, later. Also, our... also, we also... gotta we gotta say, tune into the after show tonight. Yes, and then next say. week. You know how to say his name. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, next week, we're going to have Javier Griot-Marswatch. I don't know if I'm doing that right that either. That was really good. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed because I, I have no idea. And Tiffany Greshler as well. Oh, great. So we'll have two Fantastic. writers in on next week's show. Uh, please download and listen to the episode 10 recap. If you rate five stars, I'll feel better. Okay. And tweet us the song choices you want for the Helix <laughs> musical. Please do. All right. Thanks, everybody. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Ziz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 